The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Jackie Fernandez. Welcome to the Voices of Unity. This is Rev. Jackie Fernandez, and I am here today with my two wonderful co-workers, colleagues, and guests, Rev. Ellen Devonport and Rev. Teresa Burton. Today is really special. I um, hosted, co-hosted this um, show with Ellen for June for our Pride series, and she ran a con job on me and handed it hey. off. <laughs> My version is Jackie did so well. She was so smooth and at ease on the air that I thought she should take a turn on this show. I've had it for a year. It's Voices of Unity. She is a new voice. So tag, I'm it. That's right. So the joke's on Ellen, though. I invited her to be my first guest (laughs) (laughs) and thought this would be a great time to kind of do a handoff. But also for the month of July, I'm going to work with the theme, A Matter of Words. And so I thought, why not bring some of our words people to the table to have this discussion? And so Teresa is our editor of the Daily Word magazine, and you have been here for just how long? It's been just a little over two months now. I'm sure those two months came fast and furious for you. They sure did. You relocated? I did, from the Bay Area, San Francisco. And so what were you doing before you came here? Well, as a new minister, I was uh, just learning the ropes and going to various churches in the Bay Area and sharing my message and doing some writing. And then I got the call to come here and serve the communications department and Daily Word. Awesome. And it's been really wonderful to have you here and to work with you. You're a tremendous addition to the team, to the department. Thank you so much. And I've been so warmly welcomed. I'm very grateful. Awesome. And of course, Ellen Devonport, our VP of Communications, the master of all messaging at Unity World Headquarters. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I want. Mm. So (laughs) is there anything you would like to add to your job description? Um. No, actually, that's what I tell people, that I'm pretty much in charge of most of the ways that Unity shares its message with the world. So Daily Word, Unity Magazine, Unity Radio, yeah, websites, social media, emails, all, all of that. The whole kit and caboodle. So a matter of words, we have implications, connotations, context, subtext, attitudes and platitudes, and it's a wonder that we make sense <laughs> at all at any time, right? So I have, we are all actually from different parts of the country originally. I'm from the West Coast, Ellen. Actually, oh, I was going to keep that a surprise, but no, you said it. It's Texas, and you said it on cue. And (laughs) Teresa, you are from? The East Coast. The East Coast. So we've got three distinct regions represented here. And so we're going to start with just a little word quiz. Okay. Dialect quiz. All right. So, Ellen, what do you call the shoes you wear to work out? Uh, tennis shoes. And Teresa, what do you call the shoes that you wear to work out? Underused. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up, uh, they were tennis shoes or they were sneakers. All right. They were kids early on. Ah, okay. Tennis shoes for me. 
And so um, how do you pronounce, Teresa, how do you pronounce the word that is spelled S-Y-R-U-P? Syrup. Say it again. Syrup. All right. No. And Ellen, (laughs) how do you pronounce that word? Syrup. Of course. That is the correct way. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, let's see, Ellen, what do you call a delicious carbonated beverage? A soft drink. Excellent. I think. Yeah. And Teresa? Soda. Soda. I even heard the accent. Soda. (laughs) And Teresa, that thing that uh, sprays out water for you to drink? A water fountain. And Ellen. What is it besides a water fountain? It's a drinking fountain. Really? Yeah. Huh. Now, now, being married to somebody from who grew up in New England, I can tell you they call it a bubbler. No. That was one of the options on really? the quiz. Yes, yeah. a bubbler. I have never heard of that. And huh. grew, up, grew up where? In Massachusetts. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you call a soft drink? A soft drink mm-hmm. is a soda. Yeah, soda, soda, soda pop. I don't, I don't. I'm saying it that way because soda, soda. but just a soda, a soda pop. Okay, pop. Yeah, but out here, but isn't it pop? It's pop here, okay. and so, and I moved to the Midwest when I was 17, so mm-hmm. it's been a pop for many years for me. And I remember being teased when I said soda, hmm. and I was called an old lady. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was very young, it was Coke, no matter what it was. Do you want a Coke? Could mean Pepsi, root beer, whatever, but. It was just the generic term. I'm sure the Pepsi marketing team took care of that, huh? (laughs) Yes. Like a a tissue is a Kleenex. It's always a Kleenex. Right. No matter what the brand. All right. So, Ellen, when you order in food, what's it called? Order in? Mm Mm-hmm. Take out. Okay. Delivered takeout. (laughs) Delivered takeout. How about you, Teresa? Either takeout or carryout. Okay, either one. Same for me, but primarily takeout. Um, so, Teresa, you buy these dried usually at Trader Joe's, maybe, and you call them. It's a fruit. Dried. I'll spell it for you. A P R I C O T. Apricots. And Ellen. Yeah, apricots. Um, but it's apricots. It's not. <laughs> This is fantastic. It's at least optional. <laughs> at least optional. Okay, Ellen. Um, you can't arrest me without letting me talk to my... Lawyer. Say it again? Lawyer. Yeah. What about you? Lawyer. Lawyer. Yeah, for me too. Well, who says lawyer? I've heard it, but who says that? I don't know. It's sort of lawyer. It's like L-O-I. Like yeah. Lawyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are correct. (laughs) And so, Ellen, something you might have heard on the road growing up. That big rig on the freeway is blocking traffic. There's an 18-wheeler parked near the beer barn. That truck accident is causing some rubbernecking. Or that semi is causing gapers block on the highway. Is it multiple choice? Yeah. Uh, 18-wheeler. That 18-wheeler parked near the beer barn. (laughs) Yeah. Not not in your yard. <laughs> right. And Teresa? May I have the options again? Please? Of course. <laughs> so that big rig on the freeway is blocking traffic. Being from the West Coast, it would be the freeway. That there's an 18-wheeler parked near the beer barn. That truck accident is causing some rubbernecking. Or that semi is causing gapers block on the highway. The rubbernecking. The rubbernecking. Yeah. What is gapers? No idea. 
<laughs> gaper's block? Gaper's block. Is that another term for rubbernecking? It must be. A huh. gape, like if you're gaping, and so there's a causing never a traffic that. jam at gaper's. It sounds like a location in a Thornton Wilder play. <laughs> gaper's block. Gaper's block. <laughs> All right, so we have one of these, those circle road things in order to get into the front of Unity Village. Mm-hmm. And what is that called, Teresa? Traffic circle. No. Oh, what? It's a roundabout. <laughs> yeah, it's a roundabout. The other option was rotaries, which I've never heard. heard that. All right, so if you have some paper and you're about to make some notes, what's that called? Taking notes? Um, but the paper itself. Note paper? Scratch paper or scrap paper? Scratch. Scratch. A scratch pad. A scratch pad. Scrap that scrap paper for me. Or just a notepad. All right. So we got just, um, let's do let's do one more. This is a fun one. That little bug that can fold into a ball. A pill bug? Teresa? I'm not familiar with this bug. Oh, well, it's a potato bug. Oh, okay. <laughs> do they fold into a ball? Roly-poly, maybe? Yeah. Well, they yeah they roll they oh, roll up into bug, the ball. Pill bugs are tiny. Potato bugs are huge and ugly. Oh my! We must have different bugs. <laughs> I guess so. Well, we do, and that's one thing I notice when I moved to the Midwest. Yeah. The number of bugs, lightning bugs, Katie digs. Well, d- California dids, doesn't bugs. have bugs. No bugs out there. No. They don't even have screens on their windows. Right. It was like it was creepy. Cockroaches. Uh, large grasshoppers, cicadas, all of that. Anyway, so, you know, all of this to say that we all have, we grow up with a foundation of language. And even though we speak the same language, um, we have different use of it. And so what's interesting to me, for a matter of words, is what that means when we come to spiritual discussions and what we do with the power of words and the meaning of words. So I'm just going to read a quote from Charles Fillmore, Teach Us to Pray. Every word man utters energizes the ether with a creative impulse that in due season brings forth its image and likeness. The formative power of man's thought and word is governed by his faith in himself and the vehemence with which he thinks and speaks. What do you think about that, Teresa? I think I agree with it. And I also think that it is, it is phrased in such a way that it has over the years engendered maybe a little bit of confusion just about how, how every word carries a similar weight and might be not just formative, but maybe even causative. Yeah. And I think maybe we've gotten ourselves into a little bit of trouble thinking that that we have to over-police our every utterance. Right. So that if we say a word, we're automatically going to speak it into being. Yes. Any word. And so it even says here, it's governed by faith in himself and the vehemence with which he thinks and speaks. So, But that part maybe has been lost. And I think what you're describing, I experience is somewhat of a superstition. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes like, well, if I say it, you know, I'll just manifest it. Or don't say that, or you'll manifest it. How does that uh, come across to you, Ellen? Yeah, and people are very afraid of their own thoughts and words Yeah, because of this. On the other hand, it's from the old-time absolutist unity leaders 
that we learned things like never name an illness. We get we still get in trouble for that sometimes in my department when we're publishing a booklet. Uh, there was a booklet published about specifically about cancer because so many people have it or someone in their family has it or what do they say one in two people will get it. So we knew there was a huge audience out there that looking for spiritual support in the cancer journey. And we got some pushback from that, mainly from ministers, Mm. who said you should never name an illness. Based on what? They said it was the Fillmore's. That's so interesting. And so because I know that and I've heard that, when I'm in a church, I don't have a church of my own, but I do a lot of guest speaking, I sometimes like hesitate. I find myself hesitating, and so, and which sort of has the effect of feeling me tricked into my own superstition about it. Like, oh, if somebody else thinks it, though, and it's not just about what are they going to think about what I say, but what if it does have power? <laughs> you know, what if I do? You know, and what if they're right? Um, because I don't. I mean, the opposite is that if the word doesn't have power over me, then I can say it. Right, is a powerless word which is partly what we do in our work with denials um, before we come to affirmations, which fills the power in, right? So we deny what is not true and doesn't have power. So if a word like cancer or any kind of sickness isn't to have power over me, then why couldn't I say it? So what Fillmore says here is it's governed by his faith in himself and the vehemence with which he thinks and speaks. That to me sounds like you have to use words deliberately for them to be creative. And they also did teach that. You've got to stick with it. You've got to be persistent. That's what affirmations are over and over. So maybe maybe it's not possible to create by accident. Hmm. I like that idea. Well, and because by avoiding the use of a word, don't we, by default, give it power? Give it power. You're like you're giving the idea power. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see this last part of the statement as being a, a kind of precursor to our law of mind action. Thoughts held in mind produce after their kind. So even if they are not spoken, if they're still held in mind, if we are still giving giving that kind of attention and, and growing that kind of consciousness, even if the word is not spoken, mm. we're still creating that in consciousness, and that's what we're going to see out picture. Right. And then we're going to find a bunch more words like it not to say, right? And so then you have this whole, like, we were just talking about Stranger Things before we started the show. It's like the upside down uh, world, which, anyway, some people will get that reference, but it's like this under, it's like, you know, what's happening sort of beneath the surface. Um, so what does all of this mean for each of you when it comes to the work that you're doing and using words in unity, not just for promotion, but also for publication? And people are, you know, using um, this content for inspiration and for spiritual growth. Specifically with regard to to daily word, it's really the affirmations that are, I I think, the most powerful. It's what we are attaching our I am to. I am powerful. I am strong. I am loving. I am prosperous. I am healthy. And at the same time, not denying the fact that everyone is dealing with their version 
of the human experience. So I don't, I don't want to shy away from, I may feel, I may be going through an experience of feeling frustrated. I may be going through an experience of feeling sad. That could very much be what's going on in my life. And by, and by banishing those words or those thoughts, I'm really estranging myself from my own humanity. And if I do that, how can I have a fuller experience of my divinity? Hmm. So for me and for Daily Word, the affirmations are really where it's at. Yeah, it's, you know, when we bring it down to simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. I am. And then fill in the blank. That really provides a level of clarity. How for you, Ellen? I've heard feedback both ways. Um, that it's helpful. Well, I'll just tell you the story. So I wrote this book called Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door, which is about being in transition and what is the spiritual path through transition. And I told a lot of other people's stories about ending up in a place that appeared very bad and how it, how they went through it and how it turned out. And one woman said to me she liked the book because it gave her permission to just feel bad sometimes. Not all the time, but I think in unity – it's easy for people to start thinking, I must never have a negative thought. I must never have a bad day. And if I do, I'm not going to church. I don't want to be around those unity people because they'll jump on me about it. Right. Which I hope is not the case. That's what we call metaphysical malpractice. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, we've gotten some feedback from Daily Word before your time, Teresa, um, from somebody who said, please don't write every message as if my life is in crisis. I have some days that are just fine. So it's it's hard to hit it right for where people are in their lives because some are just fine for now right. and some are in a really difficult place. And I hope that just in the overall scheme of things, we have something for all of them. Right. And that's, you know, that's a tricky part of the work is being able to speak to, you know, a whole diverse body of um, of divine expression of people, you know, but also who are in their human experience and um, which means all kinds of things for all kinds of people. And there, there are so many seasons of, of mood and experience in every person's life that a message that may not be relevant one day will likely be relevant on some other day. Yeah. As we all cycle through our periods of of lightness and ease and also through our periods of difficulty and, and frustration. Yeah. And we're we're trying to to speak to a range of the human experience. And I've heard people say, we have a mutual friend who says this, that in the really bad times, <clears throat> don't come at me with that positive thinking. Yeah. It all sounds like platitudes. It mm -hmm. all just sounds glib and useless. Mm -hmm. It does. And, you know, and sometimes you just got to be in that, like, man, this sucks, <laughs> you know, and just let me say that and let me feel that. And um, and to know that 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 doesn't uh, reduce at the level at which are you are, you know, applying faith or wisdom or any kind of spiritual maturity um, to your situation that you can just be in that um the, the badness of it. So let's talk about that title, which I love, by the way, Hell in the Hallway. Mm -hmm. You know, is that an affirmation? <coughs> what? 
So if I say oh. hell in the hallway, I'm affirming it's going to be hell in the hallway. Yeah. You know, I've heard that. And my answer is, yeah, and sometimes it just is. Yeah. There will be times in nearly everyone's life that feel like hell. Yeah. So why not say that? Yeah. It's fantastic to be able to. It's freeing, liberating in a way. Um if you have been down a path, and of course, probably there are some people who have like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Like, what? I didn't know. I wasn't supposed to say these words, you know, and now that we're introducing this idea. But but if you have been on this path of like, well, you know, don't say that you're affirming it, which you hear so just casually in conversation in unity circles. Um, but to have that that liberation of being able to just say, you know what, <laughs> this is hell. Mm-hmm. I am in that hallway. And how do I get out? You know, um, can I just affirm my way out? Can I just call it good? And and what does that mean um, about my belief, my theology, um, how I experience God? Which I think is really comes down to that. That's at the root of all of this. How do our words, causative, formative, um, reflect our belief? And the flip side of that is our beliefs are reflecting our words. You know, it's like a which comes first, chicken or the egg. How do you experience that? You're actually asking? That's not rhetorical? No, I'm asking. How do you experience that? It really helps me to start shifting the words because I think words often reflect unconscious thought And so if I have to start paying attention to what I'm saying, it forces me to reassess my thinking. Mm -hmm. So that works better for me to kind of work backwards. Mm -hmm. The words you're using are a clue to where your consciousness is. Yeah. And so once I start changing that, then I'm starting to shift consciousness. Yeah. That's a powerful just idea right there. And with that, um, you have to develop that self-awareness, right? To observe your thoughts. Yes, and, and, your, and, and your language. Catch your words. Yeah, and, and your language. And sometimes I think in unity we give each other permission to point it out. Let me know if you hear me being negative. Yeah. I've not had the courage to give anyone that permission <laughs> lately. But <laughs> What about you, Teresa? I, I agree with that completely. And I would just add, I would add that, that I think it's important when one does that, to be gentle with mm-hmm. oneself and, and not really engage in a lot or any self-chastisement about, oh, I made a mistake or, oh, I'm, I'm thinking the wrong thing. And just, and just see those words as an indicator, as a barometer of, okay, this is where I am with this. And maybe I wasn't aware that I was harboring uh, what I would think of as negative thoughts or resentments or unforgiveness or pessimism or lack consciousness or any of those things. And now I have that data. Now I have something yes. to work with. Now I have a place to start. Now I can go back into where these beliefs came from and I can work to make those changes. And as I shift those beliefs, then my words will change in course. Absolutely. And I love how you, it's data. It's information, you know, and so you can sort of step back from that self-loathing or judgment or, you know, fear of having messed it all up Mm -hmm. and just take it as data, as information. And then like you were saying, Ellen, then use that to reassess. 
okay, where do I want to put my power? Where am I putting it unconsciously? Now, how can I make that shift to a conscious place? And it also opens up the opportunity to experience gratitude for the awareness itself. Like, ah, I see it now. And I can be grateful for that. You know, and that doesn't change. It doesn't put me into shame. It doesn't lock me into like, oh, I messed up. But gratitude for now, I see a different way. I see the light, right? Let there be light. And, um, and then the ability to move forward in a different way. And this is the spiritual practice. And that's one of the scriptures that I like the best. In all things, give thanks. And, yeah. it, and it's such an important distinction to make that, mm-hmm. that even though we might not necessarily want to feel grateful for everything that has come into our lives, that we can maintain that place of gratitude for what our lives are showing us, even as we move through our more unpleasant and unwelcome experiences. And being anchored in that gratitude, we're able to pull ourselves out of that all the more quickly. Oh, we're going to come back to that too. So um, we'll have a break here in a few minutes, but I want to get further into that gratitude because you kind of touched on there the platitudes, which we mentioned a little bit earlier, but I want to get really into that because it's such an opportunity to let go of unconscious use of phrases and words and to really move that that shift of like being grateful and, and all things give thanks. But really? Even when my child just died or even when, you know, I've experienced some, you know, just some horrific experience. Really, I give thanks for that, you know, and it's we're we're leaving an important piece of that out because that's not what you said. Mm -hmm. You know, you said giving thanks in that experience, not for the experience. And so it might be giving thanks for the awareness of how to shift own your power and shift your your thinking and the words that you're using. And so finding each of those little places in which we can open to gratitude can change the whole experience. That doesn't mean we're not out of hell in the hallway, you know, but it might start to light a path into the Mm -hmm. next door, right? Mm -hmm. I want to go back to, I want to clarify something. Because I think in the beginning we said words have creative power and Worrying about every word you say can be superstitious. Mm-hmm. So where's the line where yeah. it crosses from superstition to actual power? Yeah, we're gonna oh. we're gonna come back to that. <laughs> okay. So we're gonna just take a short break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna we're just gonna get deeper and deeper into this. All right, <laughs> and then see if we can come back out. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. I love those lines of William Blake. 
to see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. That's a kind of relativity that I think we all need to deal with prayerfully. So in a sense, what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount and what I'm trying to say to you this morning and perhaps looking in a mirror saying to myself, more importantly, slow me down, Lord. Let me get in tune. Let me get off the treadmill. Let me get the sense of oneness with the rhythm of life. Let me get in tune with a pace that is not related to the ticking of a clock, but to the divine flow in which great ideas easily and effectively and timelessly unfold themselves and manifest themselves in the right way at the right time and in a harmonious outworking that is right and good for all concerned. Slow me down, Lord. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Time is running out on the early bird discount to travel with Unity to Rome and the Amalfi Coast next spring. You'll tour the countryside with guides to the history, the food, the Vatican, and of course the Sistine Chapel. Explore charming villages and maybe enjoy some Italian wine. Space is limited for the tour group and it's filling fast. Register by September 15th for the discount. Go to unity.org slash Rome 2020. Hi, this is Lisa Williams. I'm launching a brand new online course called Enhance Your Intuition, Unlocking the Power of Your Spiritual Senses. Join me for this transformational experience where you'll learn how to engage, enhance and embrace your intuition on a whole new level. Plus, save 10% with the coupon code UNITY. Visit lisawilliams.com forward slash intuition and register today. Discover what your dreams are trying to tell you. Join dream expert, best-selling author, and hypnotherapist Kelly Sullivan Walden for Ask Dr. Dream every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Central. Kelly will awaken you to the wisdom of your dreaming mind with expert interpretation as well as introduce you to fascinating guests. Each week you'll get information you can use to help make decisions and gain greater self-awareness. Join the show live or listen later on demand here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. All right, we are back. And so we're, we're, we're just going to keep diving right into um, what do we mean, a matter of words. And I'm going to start here with another quote. This is Charles Fillmore from Christian Healing. Back, And we're still talking about the power of words, and um, we're about to get into platitudes and misuse of words. And where do we draw the line between superstition and actual creative formative power? So here's the quote. Man cannot know how the thought or word works except through his own consciousness. Consequently, he must understand, control, and put in order his own word, for through it he comprehends the word of God. Our most important study, then, is our own consciousness. All right. So let's talk about wallowing. Wallowing in that hallway of hell. (laughs) I was saying with Jackie during the break that when I was working on the Hell in the Hallway book, Listening to so many people's stories, they really worry about wallowing. Oh, I don't want to wallow. And I was trying to say, it's okay to feel bad. Yeah, but I don't want to wallow. 
And I don't know where that line is either between when is it okay to feel bad and when have you started to wallow? And so what if you do for a while? But they're afraid that wallowing will then create more misery. Ah, yeah, sort of back to that uh, thoughts held in mind produce after their kind. So if I stay here, then I just get in the habit of wallowing and it's I'm always miserable versus actually staying in the pain or discomfort of an experience and being honest about that and moving through it for the purpose of healing as opposed to what we often call spiritual bypass, where we just go around it by affirming it away, sweeping it under the rug because it's all good. So what do you think about that, Teresa? Well, I, again, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. I think things take as long as things tend to take. And if we are, if we're gentle with ourselves and patient with our process, we can actually evolve through our more unpleasant experiences a little faster and I think a little more cleanly than if we try to put a you know a calendar on on pain or on grief or on sadness or on disappointment. Yeah. You know, these things take as long as things take. And we just have to be able to ride that out. Yeah. And and use our faith as a bridge to know that this is not going to be the rest of our lives. This is not going to be the permanence of our experience. But it is a season that we're passing through. Yeah, with with no boundaries yes. of time, right? Which is just an illusion, but that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what about we've been talking about, you know, Alan, you asked a great question, like the, the difference between superstition where we get into sort of the magical thinking about words and affirmations and we'll just manifest that parking lot and affirm that I'm going to have, you know, the best parking space um, versus the teaching that words have formative and causative power. And so let's talk about that because it might seem to be a conflicting statement that words are both powerful and powerless. If I say it that way, (laughs) Yeah, but the law does work for parking spaces. That's where a lot of people start. That's where a lot of them prove to themselves there there's something to this idea of thoughts held in mind or words spoken with vehemence, as Charles said. To say more about that. Well, say more about when it's superstition. Well, so if I um, just affirm that I'm going to get the third parking space when I show up at but whatever. Um, do I have to say it a certain number of times? Do I have to say it <laughs> while I'm deep in meditation, listening to a certain song, or at the same time of day, or just before I get to the parking lot, or as I have turned down the right lane into the like? That's what I talk about, like the superstition. When, um, what is the process of of packing those words with the power to manifest? That's it. Go ahead. I actually have a slightly different take on on the usefulness of, you know, let's say trying to manifest a parking space in a crowded area. I th- I think we can use our words as a way to manage our own anxieties and take control of our moods because you know how you feel 
if you're driving down a crowded street and you need to be somewhere on time and you're not seeing any parking, you can feel maybe your breath get a little shorter. You can feel um, you can feel yourself getting worried. You can start conjuring worst case scenarios about being late for meetings. And that energy actually makes it more difficult. The chances are you would drive by a parking space because you're so worried about not finding one. And by using your words to just affirm to yourself, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be on time. I'm finding parking easily, effortlessly. It's not that it's causing anything outside of you to happen. The change is happening inside yourself, keeping you calm, keeping you open, keeping you receptive. And then that's going to help you reach the goal of finding a parking space or achieving any other thing that you're trying to do. Yeah, that's an important distinction. Is the change happening within or is it? Uh, are you actually moving cars? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope Paul Hasselbeck's not listening. <laughs> um, totally forgot what I was going to say. Keep going. It'll come back to me. So... Uh, let's talk about platitudes, which, you know, so it's it's all God. It's all good. Mm-hmm. All the time. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. And so, you know, that's not helpful. Isn't it? In every situation, at every time, you know, um, in every circumstance. Um, it actually can be quite painful to hear someone say, you know, it can feel dis- dismissive of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also, I think, at least for me, I can sometimes, back to what I was saying, if I find myself saying something from the platform, it, like, do I even, do, do I believe this? Or am I not, am I not doing it right? You know, am I, am I not being, you know, a unity practitioner? Am I not being um, a person of faith in the right way? If it doesn't always feel good to say, um, God is good all the time, or uh, the universe has my back. And and I can think of like five ways right now where that just doesn't feel true. Um, I know it to be true from a deeper place. But when you just hear sort of the half of the statement, you know, so all of those examples that we just use, I believe those. But context, right, is everything. And I think giving the fullness of the truth statement in those is important. When we lose that, that's when I feel like it becomes a platitude. So, so let's just kind of talk through that platitudes. Any thoughts about that? Have you experienced? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at each other. Yeah, we're choosing who goes first. I think unity overall has a problem with the word good. Oh. Because we use it in two ways. We use it to mean good as in things that you approve of and wanted to have happen and you're happy with, which is how most people use it. But we also use it in a more absolute sense to mean divine order, to mean everything is in its place. And, uh, and then, you know, and then we can talk about whether there's an actual plan or a place for anything. But Oh, we will. But yeah. <laughs> Our first principle is is that God is all there is, and God is absolute good. 
And most people can immediately point to a dozen things that we would never label good. Terrorism Mm -hmm. is usually an example. Children with birth defects always Mm -hmm. comes up. How can you say the world is good? So I think we're struggling from the beginning to explain what we mean here. Yeah. And we just embrace that struggle, right? And and the words we use to explain it away, you know, it's really, it's as a mental gymnastics, right? Or linguistic gymnastics, if you will. Um, so, yes, yeah, so let's talk about that. Good. God is good. What do we even mean? I think a big part of what we mean when, when we try in unity to distinguish ourselves from other faith traditions that are a little more dualistic, that we have, you know, that, that propose an idea of good and evil or right and wrong. When we say that, that God is good, we're saying that there is no other competing evil power. You know, that, that's where we're, we're beginning. And we are very, I believe, uniform in our, in our thinking about that throughout the movement. Where it gets a little dicey is that when we get out of that that absolutism, out of that spiritual realm, and we're in, again, our human experience, when we're in the world, when we are using our free will and interacting with other people who are using their free wills, then we can we can create results that, that I think, as Ellen said, everybody would agree are really not good. Hmm. So God is good, and as individuations of that spirit, of that God spirit, people certainly have the potential to be and do good. But we also have the free will to make other choices, and we often do. And part of that free will, too, you just made me think, um, is to choose if we call it good or if we see good and and how we define that. So this is sort of full circle back to and like the children uh, the example of children with birth defects you know perfect and whole and yet when a mother learns that her child might have some condition that is either painful or debilitating you know there's a sadness and a grief that is experienced and um and the words even the vocabulary around that you know uh handicap you know, all of these things that would sort of work to define the experience in a certain way, where if we look and see the wholeness there, the goodness in it, then we invite that shift of perspective. Back to what you were saying, Ellen, in terms of the absolute value of the word good and experience. And we can allow that perfection to live even when our human eyes might see it differently. But, man, that's hard. When I was in church, the most controversial thing I ever said from the pulpit was when I would try to say there is no evil. And particularly, there is no devil. People do not want to give up the devil. No, because the devil made me do it. The devil I had no one to blame. That's right. <laughs> And the devil is is out there making us do bad things, and I'm not taking responsibility for that. It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's the devil, the adversary at work in my life. And I knew people in town who would not even come to unity as visitors because we didn't have the devil. Wow. <laughs> and they were not giving it up. Wow. And it, it is a hard sell to argue there is no evil. Mm-hmm. 
And is that what we mean when we say it's all good? Fillmore said it both ways. I've I've read in different places where he says there is no evil, and then he says, well, of course, evil happens in the world, but then he tries to right. explain what we mean uh-huh. by there is no force of darkness doing battle with the light. Right. Darkness is just an absence of the light. So Which is like semantics. Like it's a, you know, it's, okay, so, you know, if we if we move it to darkness and light, that's one thing, but let's, let's dial it back to good and evil. And so if there is a force of evil and there is an omniscient God who is allowing the force of evil then, which begs the question of the nature of this God that would allow evil, you know, and if you pit the two powers as, you know, against each other, as equivalent to each other, then you're saying there's more than one power. Right. And presence. And our thing in unity is there's only there's one only power one and presence. Power and one presence. Man. Unity is pretty abstract. It is. That's why it's hard to teach to children. And that's why it's easy to just come and, and shortcut to the platitudes, right? Well, it's right. all good. Let's just leave it at that. It's all good. It's all God. <laughs> and, and can we just move on with our lives? But the, the, the problem is that then in practicality, when our feet are on the ground and we're in our lives, we get stuck. And then we start and then our head starts spinning. And we, you know, we get into this sort of abstract discussion about it. But we got to bring it back to practical Christianity. Ooh, I said Christianity. <sighs> you sure did. I'll say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I, I think the key here is is that we need to be able as as people to to hold both realities and and to know that just because something doesn't feel good, we're not experiencing something as good, doesn't mean that at a more absolute, more spiritual level, that there is a divine order, that there is a perfection and that there is a wholeness. And that's and, and that can be a hard dichotomy to resolve. It it really can be. So I would I would just put an asterisk mm-hmm. after it's all good. Yeah. Because it is it is good. Even even if it doesn't seem good and especially if it doesn't feel good. Yeah. That and and the other way I hear it is for my good. Which oof. Man, there's like I've that? had some experiences that I this is not for my good. But when I shift and use it for my good, it's the same thing, right? But saying it one way to me, I'm like, "No, this is not for my good. This is not for me." You know, but if I shift that, which so so the rest of that sentence, this is for my good to the extent I allow it. You know, that to me is the rest of that sentence. So if I allow this to be for my good, that invites me into participating how. And that's a really compelling point. And I think it's important to point out that that even at moments and especially at moments that we might feel the most powerless, we always have that agency, that we always have that ability to choose how we're going to use what has shown up in our life, how, what we're going to make it mean. That is our choice. And when we make that choice, then we have power. Then we are empowered. And then that's when we really have the freedom to make changes. Yeah. So why would we worry about the parking space, right? right. <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to say earlier about the parking space. I've, I've given up 
using such specific affirmations and just try to live from a place of it's all working out and it is all for my good Mm -hmm. in some way. And if that means I have to park three blocks away and walk, well, I probably needed the exercise anyway. I mean, you can find (laughs) good in nearly anything, Mm -hmm. Uh, even the awful stuff. You know, on 9-11, we saw the first responders and the outpouring of love around the world. And so much of it is about where we focus. Right. So we can't, we can't um, cease those experiences we would not choose, but we can choose how we respond and how we move through them. And in that, we find good, we find God, and we find each other. Oh, that'll preach. I should. <laughs> um, wow, thank you both. This is this has been great. Um, actually, I feel very inspired right now, having just a lot of thoughts. Um so do either of you have an example of how using, not just for parking spaces, but the power, the formative, causative power of word in your life, personally, that you'd be willing to share on the air? So I can tell you where it's showing up for me right now is in what we in Unity are calling oneness language. Mm-hmm. And that is using language that reflects our own divinity and our own spiritual power and not using language based on God out there doing things in our lives. And you can find a lot of both in the Fillmore's and a lot of both in current day unity, but it comes up all the time in our department where we are all about words. Yeah. Uh, James Dillard Freeman said, unity is words that change lives. But I'm in the department where we get to choose exactly which words we're going to use. And it's it's a constant discussion. And especially with Daily Word, Teresa, this is coming up a lot, right? Is it? <laughs> was it was it Daily Word that we had the, like, what do we mean when we say God has a plan for our lives? That would be an excellent example. You know, and, and what, what are do we mean? Yeah. And what are we saying if we say that that God has a plan for my life? If our theology is so centered around the fact that there is there is no external being outside of us, like a, a puppet master pulling the, pulling the strings. But if we say that God has a plan for my life, then we're sort of affirming that we think that that's, that that's true. When, in fact, what might be what I think is more true is that if I, through the power of my word, through my prayer, through my meditation practice— if I can access and really call forth and draw from my innate intuition, the Christ that is dwelling in me and expressing as me, when I can call on that for inspiration, when I can look within and go from from feelingness or from spiritual knowingness, knowing the right path to take, knowing the direction that I'm called to move in, then the truer statement is, I have a plan for my life. I am moving in the direction of my highest and best. I am inwardly guided through the divinity that is mine and the divinity that expresses as me. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. 
And boy, there's a lot of responsibility packed into that, right? So if we just say God has a plan, <laughs> then I don't need to know what it is. I don't have to worry about the details. I can just, you know, la-di-da right through it. But, yes. yeah, but if I have a plan, I'll wait. Yeah, because, know, because I, God, I'm not a planner. <laughs> because God has a plan and the devil is trying to wreck that plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And what can I do? Mm. Man, but when I own it and stand in that that power that is mine and expressing in and through me as me, then it's my it was my plan all along, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's it's a delicate balance because in order in order to truly be free, in order to truly claim freedom, we first have to claim responsibility. Yeah. And and the the freedom feels a lot easier than the responsibility does sometimes. Yeah. But ultimately that responsibility I am responsible for the thoughts that I think. I am responsible for the words that I speak. I am responsible for my reactions. But then when I assume that responsibility and really live from a place of it, then I'm not beholden right. to, to, the, to the winds of fortune, to the reactions of other people, etc. I am free. Yeah. So that's a really good setup for the daily word that you brought to read. Yes, it is. Is it time for that yeah. now? Okay. So I would like to share with the audience a Daily Word message, actually an archived older message, from January 13th, 1980. And the word that day was, my words. Our affirmation is, I watch my words, I keep them positive and loving. My words are important. They are powerful and long-lasting. I am careful of the words I use and the manner in which I use them. I do not use negative words that pollute my mental atmosphere and engender negative feelings. I lift my spirits with happy, joyful, positive words that express God's good. I lift the spirit of others with words of appreciation, approval, and praise. I improve my personal relations with words of kindness, understanding, and love. I bolster my courage and the courage of others with words of faith, words of encouragement. I perpetuate ideas of health and prosperity with words that affirm health and prosperity. I use only words that show forth peace, love, joy, health, happiness, prosperity, and I reap their abundant harvest. And from Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So really just feeling into that, that, that positive use of the words and the power in that. And I love that about reaping the abundance of that, of, um, of that power. That's really beautiful. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you both, my words people, <laughs> for coming in. Thank you. And using the power of words to to have this discussion and to really, you know, flip things upside down and right side up and, and to walk through that, um, you know, because it really is the foundation of you know, one of our core teachings. And, and then all of them are, we use words to express our core, you know, our principles. And, you know, for me, I one day in seminary, which, you know, does everything to destroy every word you thought you ever knew. Um, and it was one of our colleagues, I'll tell you after the show who it was, I was at the end of one of our theology classes. 
um, I said something, you know, like a good student, you know, but God is absolute. And he said, he was a guest. He was not, he did not even belong in our classroom. He was a guest that day. And at one minute before the class was over, he said, is it? I said, God is absolute. And he said, is it? And I was like, yes, that's like the one thing we know. And he was like, do we? And then everybody, you know, class is over and everyone gets their stuff. And I was like, no, nobody leave. <laughs> I was like, I was shook. You know, that was like, was, was, but that's the one thing I have just like everything else. Yeah, we can talk about and debate and, you know, pontificate. But like, that's the one thing we stand on. God is absolute. And now you're telling me, you know, unchanging is not like. And he's like, well, what we know about God is setting forth the patterns of the universe. And can you change? Yes, I can change. Well, then what's to say God can't change? And oh, man, I just had a fit. I had a spiritual fit over that, you know. So thank you all for um, joining this conversation. Next week we will have uh, Reverend Myra McFadden standing on the Bridge of Faith, a matter of words. And um, she is experiencing cancer right now. And so I'm really looking forward to that conversation and how we sculpt our words in, um, in and through our spiritual experience with the Voices of Unity. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.